It's good to see everyone here tonight, and we know we have a good group outside and a good group online. I kind of got worried. I looked over here and found, looked and saw fewer people. I thought they'd found out I was preaching tonight and weren't going to come. So, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Hebrews chapter thirteen. Hebrews chapter thirteen. When you look at the book of Hebrews, and we'll read a few verses there in Hebrews 13 in just a minute, some of the theologians will talk to you and say Old Covenant versus New Covenant. They'll talk about Old Testament versus New Testament. I wanted to look at it a little different tonight. I wanted to look that, that Christ is better. And we'll get to the verses that I'm talking about in a minute. When you look at this, Christ is better. I wrote on there that he's a better messenger. Um, when you see that in the very first few verses of Hebrews chapter 1, it talks about that in the past, he spoke to the people then through prophets, and then in the last days, he did it through his son. And at the same time, he says in two or three verses later that He's even greater than the angels. And again, I'm paraphrasing these because this is not the whole lesson. The same thing with the apostle. In, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Consider your apostle and high priest, which is Christ. And the factor in, in several chapters that he's better than Moses and better than Joshua. And then naturally, he's the mediator of a, of a new covenant a covenant that forgives sins. And of course, he has a permanent presence as a priest forever. And again, this is a 100,000 foot view of, of Hebrews. If you'll turn now to Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, I want to read, this will be the uh, verses for the lesson. Hebrews 13. Now, as we've come through Hebrews, the Hebrew Christians have had problems of, of trying to fall back into Judaism. And there's different things that have been said and told to them. There's been a good job with who wrote this book, of course, through the Holy Spirit, of setting this up. And now thir chapter 13 is the end of it and the conclusion. So this has to be a pretty good sales job to keep these people from going back to Judaism. Read with me 7 through 15, Hebrews 13, 7 through 15. It says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest 
for sin are burned outside the camp. Verse 12, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I titled this, basically, to say, let us go forth to him outside the camp. Now, to these Hebrew Christians, outside the camp would really mean to them, thinking back to the children of Israel, that were camped and they were set in different uh, array according to the way God told them and they were used to understanding this is the camp of the Israelites. We know that as we go farther along in history that Jerusalem is actually the camp that they're, they're talking about because he was taken out of Jerusalem. And when you look at this, here is the seat of political and religious life of the Jews. So they understood how important Jerusalem was. To be in the camp meant that they had the privileges. It meant that they had the advantages of being from that lineage, being with the children of Israel. But at the same time, if they forfeit that particular right, it meant that they would be sent outside the camp. When you see this and you understand that these Hebrew Christians would have to give up a lot, there's two things implied that I take from this. And they are that these Hebrew Christians would have to turn away from their relationships, their fellowship that stands there in Jerusalem inside the camp, as well as to accept, as it's written here, to suffer outside the gate bearing his reproach in verse 13, that if they do that, if they avoid the fellowship and the friendship there, then they have to, as part of it, understand that reproach and persecution could be part of this. That's not a very good sales job, is it, to tell somebody you're going to be persecuted. But when you go back to the Beatitudes, if you remember the very first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, I need God. And the last one before the one I want to talk about too is blessed are the peacemakers. But the last one is blessed are they that are persecuted for a reason. What is the reason? For righteousness sake. So here these particular people have to make a decision. I want to show you two examples. The first example, if you turn to Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, we're, we're keenly aware of what happened here uh, in Acts chapter 7 with Stephen, and I'm actually going to use uh, Paul as the second example, since, as you know, he stood there uh, while they put their garments around by him and watched him being stoned. When you go to chapter, I put up there chapter 7, verse 54, I really want to go back um, to chapter 6 
and look at verse 8 of chapter 6 in Acts, and it says, And Stephen, full of faith, power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And the people weren't satisfied. They were unable, in verse uh, 10, to go against him or go against God. So what do people usually do when they can't win? They devise lies, which that's what happened here. And they made serious accusations in in verse 13. Uh, He doesn't cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. When you go against the temple with the Jews, that's pretty serious for a Jewish person. And here he's done it. He's talking about Jesus destroying the temple and changing the law of Moses. So then as, as he's taken in and he's taken under control and he's in front of the council, it's really interesting. He starts in chapter 7 by establishing his respect for the old law. The old law was needed that um, it, and the respect for the Jews. But he also comes out in this and he says, basically throughout history, the Jews rejected God's deliverers, God's plan, and everything else, and they continue to resist it with Christ. Then when you go to uh, chapter 7, he tells them in verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised, and then we come down to where he uh, is cast out in verse 58, out of the city and stoned him. You know, when, when you see that, this is a situation that says he went outside the camp and it cost him his life, didn't it? And here was Paul right next to him watching the coats of these individuals that stoned him. So when he went outside the camp, he gave it all. Well, another example, since I told you it was going to be Paul, if you look at Galatians 1.14, Galatians 1.14, which is real close to the, the second part is Philippians. Galatians 1 and verse 14. It says, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. And then when you go to Philippians 3 and verse 8, just a few pages over, over Philippians 3, and I'll start a little bit uh, earlier in verse 4, in Philippians 3 and verse 4, it says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted for loss, counted loss for Christ. But indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Here was an individual that was trained by one of the best. He knew the law and knew how to talk to people, knew how to get things done, how to persecute the church, 
even to death. But yet, he gave all that up because of Christ. When you go over, and I did not put this on. Yeah, I did. It's 2 Corinthians 11. Go to 2 Corinthians 11. When you look at 2 Corinthians 11, you see what Paul went through. And sometimes we um, forget how he handled this and what was important to him. But in 2 Corinthians 11, starting in 22 and going on through about 27, it talks about he was receiving 39 stripes, 39 stripes, five times from his own people, the Jews. He was beaten with rods, he was stoned, shipwrecked, and on and on and on, the perils of robbery. And he said, no matter what was happening in verse 28, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. He had given it all up to be what he needed to be outside of the camp. And when you look at these men and other men in the Bible, as David preached this morning with courage and conviction and the idea of faith and understanding that there is a cost. When you look, like I said, over the Beatitudes and then you come to blessed are the persecuted, it's pretty hard to understand when you've done all the things that God said to do you're going to have persecution. And this is what Paul went through. Well, when you look at this and you see going outside the camp, what does that really mean um, as far as, as going outside the camp? And if they do go outside the camp, what's the benefit for these Hebrew Christians well, the writer of Hebrews said that there's four assurances for this, or four takeaways, or four benefits, is what I call them, of going outside the camp. The first one is, when you go back to Hebrews 13, and you look at verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's something that even uh, Bill teaching this morning said that in everything we do, bring Jesus into the equation. He's everlasting. He's com completely committed to us. I put in Hebrews 6.19, it says, The hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. When you look at this and you understand we have that anchor, we have that part of Jesus that can hold fast during storms that we can depend on. He's there all the time. And as, as uh, Bill said this morning, we have the, the beauty of his resurrection, knowing that he's on the right hand of God. When you go to Hebrew, uh, Ephesians 1 and verse 20, it says he was raised from the dead and he's seated on, at the right hand in heavenly places. So we have a person that was on earth like us. We have a person that was beat and hung on a cross and suffered just like we did 
And here is the consistency that says Jesus is there for us. And when you think about it, there's no successor. There's nothing any better because he was sinless. He's eternal, as, as we said. And he's the same teacher and the same gospel. The gospel hasn't changed, has it? When you looked at priests back then or you looked at other people involved, the priests would die. Jesus is a priest forever. So that we know that we have that through the veil with Jesus. Well, there's a second part. If you go a little farther in verse 10, it says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle uh, have no right to eat. When you think of an altar, um, one thing that uh, one person wrote one time is, it is a chief connecting link between the people and God. And I'd never read that before, but it makes sense. When we look in Exodus 27, it tells us how this was built and the importance of it. We would see that when you see this altar, that this sinner would come in, and he would come in or with the divinely specified sacrifice. And when they came in with this sacrifice, it was where the innocent was slain in place of the guilty. So that kind of does like what Bill said this morning. It kind of reverts us back to Christ, doesn't it? Bad things happened to him with trial. Everything that went on was a travesty for Christ, but yet he went to the cross. He was our altar. When you look at Exodus 29, I'm not reading all these, verses 42 and 43, it says that the children of God met with, or the children of Israel met with God with, during, with these altars. And if you turn to John chapter 6, John chapter 6, and I put verse 65, we'll change, go look at some other verses too. In John chapter 6, we know from having just studied it long ago that Jesus had fed the 5,000. They had followed him, and he was a little upset with them because they were more interested in the food for their stomach than what he had done for miracles. And if you look at uh, verse 47 of chapter 6, it says, Most assuredly I say to you that he who believes in me has everlasting life, and then he says, I am the bread of life. And he talks about the fathers eating manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. There is bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat or of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And then in verse 55, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. You know, we, we all know that we have to have food. We have to have water. And we understand nutritional benefit, but Jesus is talking about spiritual food. He's talking about food that's everlasting, that means more to us spiritually, and that he is 
that important link. And um, I've, I got tickled when I put this together because I'm going to be doing it the third time because when you look at John 6.55, we have in Christ a true altar and how do you go to God but through the altar and I'm going to have to go to John 14 and verse 6 which Carrie did, David did, we sang a song that says, how do you get there? It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, what? Except through Christ, or through me is the way it's said. So here is better food for us. Here is when these Hebrew Christians make a choice, they have an altar that was so important in their law, they still have an altar, and that altar is Christ. When you go a little bit farther, we partake of this altar also through salvation because he died for our sins and we do have a better look at, at sins through him, also his word and forgiveness. Well, the third point is Christ led the way. When you think about somebody leading, you want somebody you can trust. You want somebody that's a good leader that tells the truth. You want somebody that's going to lead you in the right way. I put up there Hebrews 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you'll go to Hebrews 10 and look at 19 and 20, Hebrews 10, 19 and 20. Here we're, here we're still with the leader. And in Hebrews 10, 19 and 20, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. You know, when, when we see this, we hear throughout the Gospels of the way. And this way was through Christ. If you're still in 10, I, I didn't write it up here, but go to, to chapter 11, just another page over, and look at verse 24. Verse 24 in Hebrews 11 says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Then in verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. You know, when, when we think about this with these Hebrew Christians, not only do they have Christ as the altar, and here we see that he was better, we see that Christ is leading us. Well, the last point is in Hebrews, go back to Hebrews 10, and in um, 10 and verse, I mean, I'm sorry, 13. And verse 14, it says, For we have no continuing city, which he means here in Jerusalem, but we seek the one to come. 
when you go back to Hebrews 11 and verse 10, we know and we sing a song that says, this world is not my home, don't we? Just like we sing a song on the other verses that uh, we have an anchor. In Hebrews 11 and verse 10, it says, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then when you go over to 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, and verse 15 we're real familiar with this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. And the world is the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. And then in verse 17, the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So we, we have a situation that says we, we have something to look forward to, that, that we're not worried about the temple. We're not worried about the city of Jerusalem. We're not worried about the politics. We have an abiding city that's going to be forever, which is heaven for us. When you think of this, and we've been talking about these Hebrew Christians, do you think this really just involves them and it doesn't have any application to us? Well, when you think about it, many, many people, in fact, some in here that maybe I don't know about, have left different forms of religion or denominations and they remember the ridicule. They remember that when they changed their life and they didn't do what the, the other preacher or the pastor, that they probably took some ridicule. And David in his sermon this morning talked about that if you love your family more than God, you're doing the wrong thing, aren't you? And the very fact that you've changed these relationships, the family many times turns on these people and turns on the people that have made that choice to leave, as it were, the Hebrew Christians to leave Judaism for us to leave sin and, and other things. And even going back historically, you had preachers in the 50s and 60s that meetings were canceled because they took a stand for the work. They took a stand that says, we're going to go outside the camp because we know this is right. This is Christ that's due, that we hold to. We hold to what is written in the law, in the word. They were called names, and even some of them were written up in journals and told not to hire these men. So it's not just something that happens to us as Christians, but it affects all people. And we know the devil is active and will cause issues in the future if we make that decision. Well, the, the last verse that I want us to look at is Luke 9.23. Luke 9.23. It said, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It didn't start getting it. It didn't do it on this. When you look at the word daily, 
and you think about what we've talked about tonight of going outside the camp, it's not a one-time shot that says, I've, I've you know, challenged myself. I want to be Christ-like. I want to wear the name Christian. I want to be outside the camp, but I'll just do it today. That's not what it's about. This was a commitment to these Hebrew Christians that said, you've got to put Judaism away. You're going to put all this stuff, the temple, and everything away, and you're going to follow Christ. He's the leader. And that requires daily action. It's not something that we can just say, I've done it. I've been baptized. Years ago at a church, I did a lesson that says, what baptism does not do, and don't go, it doesn't take away temptation. It doesn't take away persecution. It doesn't guarantee eternal life, does it? Because we can fall away. And if we're not daily doing this, then what are we doing? When you think about this, it's decision time. When you think about what has been said tonight, you, you've got a line in front of you. They're already lining up. Christ is in the lead. You've got the apostles behind him. You've got Timothy. You've got Barnabas. Quilla and Priscilla are more and more and more behind him. Are you going to follow behind him is the question. Are you wanting to go outside the camp because there's some cost, isn't there? But the cost is worth it because it's called eternal life. If you haven't made that choice, then why not? When you see what the benefit is of eternal life, it's something that this world will never show us, never be important to us. But if we do make this choice to go outside the camp, we've got the best leader we can have, don't we? If you've not obeyed the gospel, it's time for you to go outside the camp. It's time for you to put away the old life, not like the Hebrew Christians with Judaism, but put away sin. Put away a life that's not right, that's out in the world. The world is passing by, and you have that choice. To make a confession that Christ is the Son of the living God, be baptized, be immersed for the remission of your sins, and come out a new person. And guess what? You're in that group, aren't you, with Christ leading. Now, some people have made that decision before. Some people have said, I've, I've done it, I've already been baptized, but I've made a mistake. I keep falling back as those Hebrew Christians to Judaism or to the world. And that's the decision that you need to change, don't you? You need to make it right. If we can help you, please come forward while we stand and sing.